Hi, and welcome to another podcast episode of Your Perspective. In this series, we explore career perspectives for humanities students. Each episode, we discuss a certain area of work with alumni from the humanities faculty at Utrecht University. This episode is all about working at NGOs, or non-governmental organizations. The episode was recorded during a live session on Microsoft Teams and then edited into a podcast. My name is Bart Meiland and I'm your host. And our guests today are Eva from Pax for Peace, Marte from Stichting Vluchteling and Elise from Greenpeace Nederland. I was also supported by Marie Verkijk and Sjoerd Bergevoet. We start the episode with a round of introductions, starting with Marte. Hi everyone, um, thanks for inviting me, uh, uh, Bart and uh, Josi. Um, so I'm Marta, uh, I used to work at Save the Children. I started there, uh, worked there for a bit over a year. And I actually recently, two weeks ago, transferred to Stichting Vluchteling. So um, just started a new job. Um, I used to work, I used to study, I did a bachelor in Utrecht in language and cultural studies. And then I did a master's in uh, international relations, also in Utrecht. And last year, I also did the advanced master in international development. Um, which is a postmaster or advanced master uh, education, and it's um, it's it was linked to the job I had at Save the Children. So I studied one day a week, and then I worked there four days a week, and all the assignments that I had to do were also um, linked to the to my work at at Save. Um, so for me, that was a really great way to to get to get a sort of an introduction and a way into the the, the world of NGOs. Um, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe what I do now, I'm a, a project officer. Um, so um, I work for Sichtling uh, Vluchteling as a project officer for East Africa. Um, so that means that I'm the contact person and the project manager for all the projects that run in the uh, through Sichtling Vluchteling uh, in East Africa. So I mainly work. Uh, for projects in South Sudan and Ethiopia at the moment. Great. And do you have a random fact to share? A random fact to share? About yourself. <laughs> um, most random thing that pops into my head is that uh, I have a really bad memory, but I can remember each and every lyric of every song I, uh, I heard. So oh. <laughs> that's a good quality. I used to have it when I was younger, but not anymore. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, uh, Marta. Uh, and we'll uh, dive into your experience a little later on as well. Um, maybe Elise from Berkel uh, can say something now. Uh, yes. Um, well, I'm working at Greenpeace, Greenpeace Nederlands. And um, I am a learning and development specialist, but in the past nine years, I've been in multiple roles uh, within Greenpeace. Um, I studied uh, a bachelor in communication and information sciences and a master in communication, both in Utrecht. And uh, a random fact. <laughs> um, 
I train um, our activists, our volunteer activists, but I'm a really lousy activist myself. That is interesting indeed. <laughs> We're going to talk a bit about that later on, yes, uh, activism I'm sure. and, uh, <laughs> and idealism and how that plays into uh, your work. Um, I'm not sure if Ava is already here, apparently having trouble getting in. I don't think so. So let's just continue. Uh, so Eva is from uh, Pax for Peace, and hopefully we'll be joined by Eva later on. Um, so we've heard a, a short introduction. Um, so let's dive a little bit deeper into uh, in the work into the work. Um, yeah, maybe just first describe what kind of uh, you mentioned your job titles, but what kind of work do you actually do uh, then? Uh, what does it mean? How does your day look? And maybe how it's influenced uh, by working at home, probably. Or maybe you're at the office, one of the lucky few. Uh, who would like to start? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at Elisa. Uh, yeah, sure, I can start. Um, yeah, I think like most people, I'm working uh, from home. Uh, so I uh, have a coffee and uh, go up to the attic. And um, so most of my days I begin uh, with a check-in with my colleagues, especially in um, these times where we are all sitting at home. It's really good to just uh, have a chat in the morning to see uh, what people are up to and um, how uh, how everyone feels. <laughs> Um, and then uh, I check in with my intern. I have an intern uh, who's also stu uh, studying communication sciences uh, in Groningen. And he is working on um, training uh, for uh, uh, text writing, so writing for online uh, web articles and social media posts. So we have a chat about uh, writing training and... Oh. Then, um, well, for example, last week I have uh, an, a Skillshare with international colleagues. Um, so all our uh, nonviolent direct action trainers about uh, how to train uh, during COVID times, because a lot of trainings we can do online, but there are also a lot of trainings we can't do. And we really have to be uh, uh, together and to have like physical training. So uh, we had a Skillshare about uh, uh, training in uh, in COVID times. Um, yeah, and then I do some work uh, at our academy. So we have an online academy, which needs uh, a lot of updating and uh, um, a lot of uh, refinement. Yeah, so I think uh, that's about, uh, about it in my working day. Okay, sounds interesting. Um... And I, th I think um, some of the guests will be very interested to learn that you have an intern. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, of course, next intern will be one of the people here present. <laughs> Great. Uh, if there's opportunities. Is that something that happens a lot that you uh, supervise interns? or? Uh, is when I started uh, at Greenpeace nine years ago, we had like little to no interns. And actually, I think, like myself and one other colleague, decided that we wanted to work with interns. And now uh, we have quite a lot of 
of internships. Um, but most of the times um, it's not uh, from the university because we really want people to just work along within the organization. And a lot of uh, the uh, university internships are like research interns and we don't really uh, have that many uh, uh, spots for research. Okay, um, maybe yeah, for so a bachelor, bachelor student then? Yeah, so it kind of depends uh, uh, yeah. what the demands are uh, from, uh, from the university, yeah. I, I can imagine. Another question uh, I, I had listening to you. Um, how was it uh, when you started working there? Uh, was it completely as you expected? what it was to work at Greenpeace, because Greenpeace, of course, has a certain uh, uh, familiarity with everyone. I mean, everybody knows Greenpeace, I think. It's one of those NGOs. Um, but we, when we grow up, all we know is maybe the boats and, you know, uh, the actions and everything. Uh, but the way you described it wasn't really <laughs> like you're out in the field that much uh, in that sense. Um, so... How did it meet your expectations? Um, well, when I started working at Greenpeace, it really uh, met my expectations because when I just worked there for like a few weeks, we had uh, 30 activists that were arrested in uh, Russia and <laughs> were locked up and accused of uh, piracy and hooliganism. And uh, so um, I think like looking at those images and, and knowing that 30 of your colleagues are behind bars uh, kind of did meet the expectations. But um, yeah, no, in, in my day-to-day -day work, it's uh, a lot of sitting behind the computer. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's uh, way less uh, exciting, of course, than, uh, uh, than maybe what people uh, think of if they think of us uh, in the 90s sitting in the in the in the little boats between the wheel and a big ship. Yes, indeed. Okay, uh, thank you so much, Elise. Uh, Marta, would you tell us a bit about your daily work? Yes. So, um, so I only started. I'm only working. Started working two weeks ago at uh, at Stichting Vluchteling, but I can say something a bit more general about uh, working as a project officer. Um, so at the moment, uh, my days are, are filled with um, working on uh, proposals for new projects, um, especially in South Sudan at the moment, where there is a, um, the food security situation is really, really bad. Um, so what I what you do as a project officer is you 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 are the contact person of the, the organizations in the field that you work with. Um, they update you on the situation if they see uh, a need uh, for uh, an emergency aid, then they will start writing the proposals. And that's where you become involved and you together you come up with a good proposal that Sichting uh, Vluchting can eventually fund. Um, and at the moment, it's quite busy uh, with three proposals. So we're working on... Um, in South Sudan, so that's the majority of my time is going there at the moment. Um, but I know um, at um, Save the Children, where I worked last year, 
was a little bit different because they don't do emergency aid, but they do. Um, I was in the development team, so those projects are uh, long-term projects. So you don't have new proposals coming up uh, every two or three weeks, but um, you work on a project for a longer period of time. So um, I was involved in a project uh, to end child marriage, um, and I worked together um, with uh, different organizations because we were in an alliance. So I worked together with people from Oxfam, from Simathi, uh, Population Council New York. Um, and um, I think my day-to-day -day tasks were depending on what time of the year it was. So whether you're at the start of the year, then you have to draft new uh, project plans, approve budgets. Um, if you're at the end of the year, um, you, you have to start thinking about the reporting uh, that needs to be done. Um, and as a project officer in the Netherlands, it's, so it's a lot of computer work, I have to be honest. Um, but you, you're in close contact with people in the field and, and you're, we're here to support them. Uh, but also to be accountable to uh, our donors. So to make sure that everything that's going on in country, um, that uh, what, what, what is happening is uh, what we want to happen. Um, yeah, and we have to, of course, be accountable to the donor. So for instance, at Save the Children, we get a lot of money from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, so you have to report to them, um, but also to uh, to the people that you're trying to help. So you're also accountable to, to yeah, beneficiaries is not the right word, but uh, that's the word I'm going to use now. Um, so you have to make sure that what we are doing um, that is helping them and uh, not making um, things worse for them. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, in summary. Yes, thank you very much. Um... And it's good to, because I wanted to ask you uh, if you could also describe your previous job, of course, <laughs> since you have more experience there. Uh, so thanks for doing that already. I think Eva Gerritsen is now in the room. Uh, if you are, you can open your microphone and maybe camera. Yes. Hi, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I kept struggling with getting into this team. Yeah, um, well, so sorry for that. And uh, I'm glad no, you're no here anyway. Um, but welcome. Uh, I hope you're otherwise relaxed now. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, hi everyone. My name is uh, my name is Eva, and I work for Pox, uh, the Dutch Peace Movement. And um, I've been working for Pox for the last seven years. And at the moment, I am a program officer on the Congo program. So um, that is my daily job. Um, you're you were specifically asking for what my day looks like, right? Yes. Um, yeah, good question. It always feels like a lot of juggling, I guess. So we work on a lot of different projects and um, I'm involved in all elements of these projects from project management to research to lobby and advocacy um, with uh, multiple partners. So you're always like keeping a lot of like balls in the air, as we say in Dutch. Um, so yeah, it's a bit difficult to describe like a usual day. It's uh, it's a lot of uh, um, communication with our partners, a lot of um, internal communication. Um, um, but I, there's also days that I, or even weeks that I'm working on one specific report. Um, so it's very, it's very diversified, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, and yeah, normally, of course, there would be it would involve uh, quite a lot of traveling, which, well, is not possible. I, I guess the others as well have also explained about that. Um, so it's a bit different now. It's a lot of, um, yeah, digital meetings. Um, yeah, so glad you, you could join another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, lots of questions already in the chat, so I'm, I'm going to try to integrate them because I have some outline for the discussion. Um, let's see. I think this one from Vincent is quite interesting. How... Uh, how were you able to choose your organization specifically? So this is a question for all of you, uh, but we could start uh, start with you, Eva. Because um, there are so many NGOs and some work on the same issues or overlap at least. So yeah, indeed, how do you choose an NGO or do you let an NGO choose you? Because I know that it's quite hard, it can be quite hard to get in. Um, uh, sometimes they ask for a lot of work experience already. Mm -hmm. um, and I can imagine that people, the people, yeah, the students that we work with, the alumni that we have are often very uh, broad minded and would like to work on several kinds of issues. So how was that for you? And Well, for me personally, um, I did the master's in conflict studies and human rights. Um, so I already had a bit of a focus when it comes to um, you know, NGO work. Um, well, I did not very sort of like consciously had a choice between like six organizations I wanted to work for. And um, so I started here as an intern. Um, when I was doing my master's, I um, was looking for an internship to, to combine with uh, the writing of my thesis. And I saw an, um, a vacancy for a, a research internship here at Pax. Which fitted, which fit like really well with some of the stuff that I was doing, um, for my masters. So, um, yeah, I did that internship and then I could just sort of like stay on first as a program assistant for a year and since, uh, 2015 as a, as a program officer in the Africa team. So for me, it's never been like, you know, that I sort of like, um, had the opportunity to work for, <laughs> I don't know how to explain this, but um, it sort of like came about, I think. But um, on the other hand, um, I chose to to do an a to do an internship with Pax because, um, well, it's um, one of the only organizations in the Netherlands which works specifically on on peace building and um, yeah, and it's in Utrecht, so and it's in Utrecht, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay, thank you. Um, maybe uh, Elisa? Um, I don't know if I like specifically chose Greenpeace. I really wanted to, when I finished my communication, I, I worked at a very small NGO first, and that was really like a coincidence. So I just met, like at a party, met the CEO of a really small NGO and I was looking for a job and I, I applied. But when I I saw that Greenpeace was um, looking for people, I just really loved the idea of working uh, for Greenpeace. Um, and I, as, yeah, I really disliked the idea when, uh, so I did communication uh, master of like making campaigns for a toothpaste brand or something like that. So I think um, if it was another 
NGO um, I probably uh, applied as well. Um, and I also think I see a lot of questions about um, how to get your foot between the door. Um, so I do think working at a another small NGO or being a, an activist in your spare time or volunteering or uh, I think a lot of NGOs will see your resume and see that you have experience with uh, with, a, with another NGO voluntarily or paid. And that really is a great way to, to get in. Yes, that's what we all want to know, of course. <laughs> so, thank you. This one is also an interesting question. How uh, uh, from Kage, I think, uh, if I pronounce that correctly, uh, does uh, the, in, the government influence how you have to work, specifically uh, for Vluchtelingwerk. So that we have two people working for refugees here. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say, who do you want to answer? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so um, at Stichting Vluchteling, uh, so the Refugee Foundation, the government actually doesn't um, influence our work as much. And that is because um, it's a, an NGO that has a lot of, that raises a lot of money on its own. So that's money that the, the NGO can decide for itself how uh, it wants to spend it. But if you get a grant from the, from the Dutch government, there are of course uh, specific guidelines and restrictions you have to uh, take into account. And uh, the more money you get from the government, the more restricted an NGO is in what and how it uh, wants to implement its program. So it does it does have influence. But at the same time, the, the Dutch government is aware that um, that people in country themselves know what they need best. So they they try to leave more and more space uh, for the inputs from um, our local partners, uh, the people that are supposed to benefit from the programs. So that's, uh, yeah, a bit of a movement going on from being having a lot of restrictions and guidelines to being a bit more flexible. But yeah, it depends where you're, where the money comes from. Yeah. Thank you, Marta. So talking about uh, the, the funding of the government as well, um, I know that indeed there's this movement in a, in a broader sense over the years that the government funds less and less, uh, gives less to development aid or whatever they call it. Um, and you have to do a lot more fundraising as an NGO, which changes the way you work, but also changes, I guess, uh, where you work sometimes. Um, but it also, I've seen a quite uh, a downsizing of uh, the NGO field, at least of uh, certain organizations have to had to let people go, sometimes with a lot of experience and just, um, yeah, uh, do a different kind of work with uh, less people. So is there still a, a future for uh, for NGOs uh, and for worker for, for for working in NGO, or is it really more and more difficult to get in and to stay in? Maybe Elisa, because you've been working the longest, I think. Uh, yes, but we don't accept many money from uh, the government. <laughs> No, so of it course. It does not apply to us. But, but of course, part of the story is that uh, more, more and more NGOs are, uh, are trying to get the money from the people, <laughs> of 
Or yeah, so I actually, I actually don't um, think. So maybe the the NGOs we have they become smaller, but there are also more NGOs than like 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. for example, on environmental issues, uh, looking back, Greenpeace was the only like big environmental uh, organization in the Netherlands, and now you can choose. Uh, you can also go to Milieu Defensi or uh, uh, a lot of other organizations. So I'm not sure whether we are really getting smaller or maybe we just, there are more NGOs um, available in the Netherlands. Yes, in politics we call it for snippering in Dutch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for the right word. But <laughs> Fragmentation maybe? Fragmentation, yeah. yeah. Um, is that a good thing necessarily, or does that strengthen the cause that you work for, in your opinion, or is it something that... Yeah, I do think uh, in the environmental world, I think we really um, we need each other. So we have uh, organizations who are really good in lobbying and doing research, and um, for example, Greenpeace is more on the activist side, and then you have uh, like the more recent uh, movements like uh, XR, who um, I think we all need each other, and we all uh, have a different way of working. And if you work together, you have a really strong movement. So, yeah, I think there are like also yeah there are good sides as well. Okay, good to know. Eva, did you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I think uh, what what you describe the the trend that you describe is is um, is like is true, and um, I recognize um, what um, my colleague panelist just said. Um, yeah. yeah, sorry, Elisa, um, about um, well that of course the more sort of like organizations you can you can you can gather around a certain cause it it it, it strengthens your um, your message i guess and in terms of competition for funding yes that is a that is a problem on the other hand it also forces you to to become to be really strategic um and to really think through what it is that uh, you want to uh, to do and why you are good at it um so um yeah it, it's also like I think for like 10 years ago, it was really easy to get to get like a lot of funding, but it also made you a bit made organizations a bit, you know, sit back and relax. Um, and what I've noticed, at least here at Box, is um, the fact that we are forced to, you know, um, to think more about these kinds of issues. Um, yeah, makes you also more strategic, I think. Um, yeah, if I can give like a positive spin to mm-hmm. To the, yeah. to, the, to the negative trend. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And that also raises the question, I would say, uh, about um, the purpose of these kind of organizations, uh, especially when it comes to development aid and poverty relief and stuff like that. Um, of course, sometimes organizations are criticized for um, not solving the issues, but staying uh, staying active as an organization. Um, of course, that's uh, uh, much too easy to say it like that. Uh, but there is this this bigger question: When have you reached your goals, or when uh, can you decide to be more 
influential or active uh, and effective. And you can say, okay, this is the time for us to stop our work and concentrate on other problems or maybe, yeah. Is that something that you discuss or is... Yeah, I think you touch upon one of the fundamental questions uh, of our work. I mean, in the end, of course, you you sort of like, you wish you weren't needed or something. Um, that's in the end, for, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a really complex question. It has a lot of different layers. Um, I think framing it in the way that you that you are only working to 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 keep to keep yourself in existence as an organization might be a bit too cynical, um, because yeah, you need funding to 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 be able to do your work to um, and yeah, the work that you believe in. So um, yeah, it's a bit of a how do you how do you say? Yeah, let me think of the right word, and I'll come back to that. <laughs> sure, that's fine. Of course, yeah, refugees are still very much there, and it's not something that's easily solved, of course. Um, so the work you do continues to be important. Yeah, I think there's a difference between emergency aid and in the development sector. Um, I know, especially for development, um, so the idea is that you're no longer needed. So if you do your work right, your organization will cease to exist. So that's the goal you should should, should work to, towards. Um, and also the way we work um, is changing. So in an ideal world, you wouldn't need Dutch NGOs raising funds uh, and then having say in, in what projects should look like and also in the, in the execution of the projects that should be done at a local level. So in an ideal world, that whole layer would sort of cease to exist. But at the moment, so the funding from Dutch government, but also funding from the Dutch public doesn't automatically um, find its way to, to these projects if the, the, those organizations in the Netherlands or in other countries aren't there. So in that sense, it, the organizations are still needed, but the way that we, we're working where is you're constantly trying to figure out a way where um, you need to do less work and more more of the work can actually be done in country by people who know the country who are from the country uh, who know what they need. So the sector is kind of moving towards. Yeah, I, I think that there will be less and less. There should be less and less jobs in the Netherlands, to be honest, but it's a slow transition, I think. So I don't think this will be happening in the next few years. I think we're. Uh, It'll it'll take a while for uh, for us not to be uh, needed anymore. Yeah. Okay. Let's stay at that international level. Um, it's also another question from Kage was about uh, uh, dealing with corruption and specific work fields. So if to to take it a bit more broad, um, of course it 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 takes a lot of intercultural knowledge. Uh, it takes some. Um, self-criticism on your Western uh, identity and politics and everything. So how do you get prepared for that, to work in an international uh, environment, in a, in, a, uh, in a complex situation that you haven't encountered in the Netherlands or Italy, <laughs> for that matter? Uh, how do you prepare for that? Or is it just something that you learn as you go? 
So, Marta? Yes. Um, I don't think you can prepare for that. It's something you just learn along the way. You learn to deal with it also because every person you work work with, every country you work with is different. So um, I'm not sure you can prepare for that. It's, I don't think you can take a course in intercultural communication and be uh, a star at it. I think you just uh, feel as you, uh, as you go. But maybe maybe someone else has another opinion. Eva? No, I agree. I mean, um, that's something that you'll just, yeah, you just deal with it and you and you knock your head a few times and then you learn how to, um, yeah, how to uh, how to how to deal with the, those kinds of issues and, yeah, for me it has helped quite a lot to 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 live abroad and to you know. Um, really spend more time with the local partners and in the field and um, seeing how things are done a bit more on, on, a, on a longer term. Yeah, but no, I don't think there is any uh, anything you can learn from a course or a book or, or something. And an, another question when it comes to uh, international being international active. Um, is Fernanda, I think, has, yeah. What are the chances for a non-Dutch speaker to work in an NGO here in the Netherlands? Because, of course, yeah, if you don't speak Dutch, uh, for a lot of fields, that's quite difficult. But how is it for NGOs? Elise, how is it at Greenpeace? Yeah, at Greenpeace Netherlands, um, um, it's quite impossible because uh, our uh, main language is, uh, is Dutch. And all our campaigns and projects are in Dutch. For Greenpeace, the international office is actually in Amsterdam as well. Um, so that would be your way in. Okay, so that's a clear answer. Um, what about Eva? We there is a lot of non-Dutch speakers working for Pax also here in uh, Pax in the Netherlands, so that's no problem. Um, it is an asset if you speak the language of the country that you're going to uh, that you work for. If you were if you want to work for for a, for a country program within Pax, because we also have thematic programs. And um, but if yeah, it's more important that you speak the language of the program country than that you speak Dutch. Yeah, it's often mentioned in the vacancies. So it must be fluent in French and English and something yep. like that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it about humanities? Uh, in terms of knowledge and skills that really helps you and what kind of knowledge or skills would you have wanted to learn before you started working in this field? Is there anything that we missed out on or that we should actually include in some of our programs uh, that would be very handy? I see Marta thinking. <laughs> I see me thinking. Yes. <laughs> Well, actually, look. I don't think so. I think there's quite a, uh, to be honest, quite a gap between academic studies and then uh, starting to working. Um, so I think an internship, if you, especially if you want to work in this field, is a must. If you don't do an internship, you're probably going to have to do one after you already graduated. So yeah, so that's. So I know some maybe that's changed, but I remember when I was studying my master, I didn't have to do an internship. But um, and then, 
yeah, there's some really practical things like learning how to speak a, a, a third language properly, like learn to speak French or maybe Spanish or Arabic, depending on where you want to work. If you if you know if you speak fluent French, your chances of getting a, a job is are so much higher. So I don't think there's any specific courses or things that that are missing, but it's, I think it's more getting some practical uh, experience and then the language that are super helpful. Eva, maybe you have something to add? Yeah. Um, so during your studies, that you, of course you learn how to write, right? You learn you learn how to how to do research and how to write, but that is. A very specific way of writing, so a very academic way of, of writing. While, for example, for Pax, there is like one of our main work fields is lobby and advocacy, which requires a very different um, style of writing, a very different way of, of, of thinking. So it's much more about um, conveying a certain message instead of like going into all the, the, the nitty gritty details. Um, so I think that is for me something which I really had to learn while doing while um, working at Pax. So maybe that is something uh, uh, worth considering. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, idealism, activism, and the work that you do. Is it a pro to be an activist or an idealist, or is that something that is actually bothering you in your work if you <laughs> if you feel like, okay, I'm constantly dealing with the tough reality out there and my ideals. I'm working on it, but I don't see fast change as some activists or idealists might want. So how is that for you in your in your work? Pro or con? Uh, Ava, maybe? Um, yeah, a good question, Bart. Um, yeah, I mean, don't come working for Pox if you think that world peace will be there within a year, right? So, yeah, it's also a degree of, of yeah, there's an idealism and then there's like realism. So I think you need to be able to um, get your motivation and, and, and um, inspiration from, uh, from the small changes and from the, the small impacts that you, that, that you do see. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yes, it, it, it requires a degree of idealism because, the, I mean, the job is quite tough. So um, um, there's a lot of traveling and, um, and it's really a big part of, of my life, this work. Um, it takes a lot of, of commitment and dedication. And um, yeah, there's also difficult stuff. Um, but on the other hand, being too idealistic idealist um, can also lead to I think a bit um, being like overly committed or emotionally involved which um, can also be a bit of a of a, of a of a dangerous side of the job I think um, I do think that well for example with box yeah just to be honest we have quite a high degree of, of burnout um, which um, yeah, it does have to do with yeah sometimes also the character of uh, of the of the work that you do. So um, it's good to be aware of that. I mean, for me, it's the best job in the world, but it's good to be aware of that of that fact. It's always good to 
to know indeed and to hear that it's still the best job in the world for you. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to look at Marie for a minute because uh, I, I try to include many questions and some have been answered in text in the chat, but did I miss anything? Yeah, I believe you missed two questions. Um, the first one was, let me try and find it. Ah, it, it was from Emma. It was, could you describe one of the projects boxes involved in Ava, perhaps the one you mentioned in Congo? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Um, we do a lot of different things uh, as box. So let me just specify to, to what I'm doing on, on, on Congo then. Um, there are multiple things. We are um, researching our mediating in conflicts between uh, large industrial mining companies and um, local communities. So there's a lot of natural resources and conflict thematics going on there. Then uh, we're focusing on um, uh, conflicts between um, uh, cattle herders coming in from Central Africa and uh, local communities. Um, we're working on democratization, so working together with local civil society in, in, um, in the capital and in larger towns within Congo on um, uh, pressing for uh, free, fair and transparent elections um, in 2023. Um, then we're working on conflicts um, surrounding um, um, protected nature parks. Um, so Congo is like... Um, it's on the forefront of the global battle against deforestation and global warming. So there's a lot of um, uh, like big parks being created there, but it's also that's also creating a lot of conflicts with the local communities. So that is one of our focuses. Yeah, and then yeah, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot going on. It might be easier if I sort of like share that in writing sometime. Um, Marie, another yeah. question that I another missed. question. Uh, this is the one um, about the salary. Um, the specific question is: uh, Are you able to find a house, for example, with your salary? Many people say that working for an NGO is only voluntary, or that it will not be enough financially to provide for yourself. Uh, what is your idea about this? Who wants to talk money? <laughs> Always a sensitive issue, but. <laughs> Yeah, you don't get into this job for the money. No. <laughs> but you do get paid. So it's, I mean, it's yeah. it's not, at least if, if, it's not, if it's a proper job, it's a proper job. So you get your salary and I mean, it's it's fine. It's just not, don't expect to, uh, to have a big salary, no. <laughs> but I mean, we're not poor or anything. So I think finding a house eventually will be, will be fine. It also... It kind of depends on your benchmark. If you compare it to like the big corporations, we make uh, really, really little money. But if you compare it, for example, to the uh, cultural sector or um, like a teaching job, then it's totally fine. So, yeah. Yeah, and one thing that it's also, of course, needed for uh, for housing is, uh, especially if you want to buy, is stability. How how stable are the jobs? Is it? Yeah, for some of you, it's quite clear that you you've been doing it for a while. Uh, but what do you see around you? Is it something that you, yeah, can actually depend on? I wouldn't say 
Marta is laughing. <laughs> well, it's good to be to be honest about. Yeah, this. no, it's honestly, it's a very, very difficult sector to to want to work in. So I really like your comment um, about looking also in the fringes of the of the sector. What other kind of uh, opportunities and organizations w- would there be that you could work with? You could also think about. For instance, social enterprises, uh, companies or companies that want to do more uh, on their uh, MFAO, sustainable, how do you, what's MFAO in English? Uh, CSR. Oh, CSR, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, corporate social responsibility. Because, I mean, I, I now work, I'm doing a pregnancy leave at Stichting Vluchteling, so... Um, it's only a temporary job and I have to go find another job after uh, five months again. So for me, it's not a very stable job position to be in. We only have a few more minutes. So if you have more questions, please uh, put them in the chat. Uh, Maybe I can say, oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, go go ahead. No, I I saw something in the chat just a a while back, I think on on, uh, internships. Um, I think it helps if um, so there are ways you can have a vacancy for an internship and you can apply for a vacancy or you can just reach out to an organization um, yourself, which is always possible for Bucks. You can always reach out if you're interested in an internship. But in that case, it's really helpful if you can indicate already like specific topics or specific countries or programs that you would like to be involved in, because um, then for me, it's much easier to refer you to the right person. And he or she might have like an open position um, uh, at that very moment. And then you're, you're in. Um, but um, if I get emails with uh, someone asking like, okay, I want to vol- volunteer intern with Pax. And then it gets a bit lost in space because I'm, I'm not sure, okay, what, what is it exactly what you're interested in? What's your experience or your, you know, what have you been doing? What have you been doing during your studies that might be interesting also for us? Or how can we find links? So just as a piece of advice. Very nice indeed. Um, But we heard a lot of interesting points. It's a a fair, I think, uh, image that we have created here of uh, working in NGOs. It's, it's, It's beautiful work. It's not always easy. It's not always stable, uh, but it's rewarding. And it comes with all kinds of big uh, topics and questions uh, that I, I'm guessing also influences you as a person uh, and in your political views and everything. So it's very fascinating. So I can understand why so many people are here to uh, to hear more about it. Uh, thank you so much to all of our speakers. It's been great having you and hear, hearing from you. Um, I hope that uh, people listening to the podcast version of this also enjoyed it as much. Uh, I see many thank yous pouring in in the chat, so uh, I think it's very much appreciated uh, by uh, the students and alumni. So thank you. Um, Also, thank you to everyone joining as a guest. And also uh, thank you to Marie and Shua for the uh, technical support. Thank you and have a good evening and hopefully see you another another time. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye. This was an episode of Your Perspective. If you wish to learn more about other areas of work, please listen to our other episodes on the official Utrecht University podcast channels. 
If you're one of our Humanities students or alumni, you can also join the live events. Simply search online for Your Perspective UU Humanities and you'll find our website. Thank you for listening.